welcome to Resonant Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters shaping the electronic music landscape. My name is Mark Smith, and I'm the tech editor at Resonant Advisor. This week's exchange is with the founder of Awakenings Festival, Rocco Veinboer. When it comes to techno events, the Dutch festival sits at the top of the food chain. DJs who play once usually return for a second run, while the likes of Adam Bayer and Speedy J come back almost every year. The same goes for the crowd, who regularly sell out their events well in advance. Now the festival is about to celebrate its 20th year in action, so Holly Dicker sat down with Feinboer to learn about the thinking behind one of techno's most successful and enduring events. As always, you can find our full archive of exchanges at residentadvisor.net and follow us on SoundCloud at ra-exchange. The exchange with Rock of Vainbow is up next. celebrating 20 years. Rocco, perhaps you can take us right back to the beginning to where it all started. Well, I was born first in the Green Heart, as they say it. You have Amsterdam, Rotterdam, The Hague, Utrecht. There's a small village exactly in the middle. That's where I'm from. I came to Amsterdam when I was 20 years. 1988, I came to Amsterdam. It started then a little bit with the rave scene. Some people from England, some people from Chicago... I found this music and these parties and it found me. So immediately I was hooked to that scene, to that vibe, to that music, to those raves. And then it was pretty soon when I wanted to organize it for myself. Can you tell us about some of those raves in particular? Any ones that you remember? Yeah, from England you had Soho Connection. From Chicago you had the guys who were doing the Black Laugh parties. Those were bigger raves in old warehouses. And that's what particularly interested me, like really a little bit of a rough side to it. There was hardly any light. There was hardly any toilets. There was hardly anything to drink at the bar, but there was a big, big musical vibe and it, it went off uh, until daylight and beyond. Are we talking about techno music or... It was, you know, the old days you didn't have really have all these genres. It was just rave. The only thing you had in 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 like 90, 1989 was rave music. There wasn't so much music released. So I think you heard a track sometimes. You heard it f- five times a night. So it was all so new. 
the scene wasn't so grown up, so it was new to everybody. So there was a lot of there was a lot of good music that I still listen to, some timeless tracks. But on the other hand, there wasn't there weren't so many releases like you have now. Also, the raves were not every week. There were maybe maybe once a month if you were lucky in those first years. But it got to me and it never went away. Were there any particular DJs from that time that stood out? From the English side, you had Paul J. You had Dano, who later became a hardcore DJ. You had Dimitri already, who was playing the Roxy, but he also played at the Rave some, a few years later. You had Spider Willem, that's a local favorite. You had Gino and Abraxas from Chicago, who were doing the, the Black Love. To be honest, the music was always good already at those at those raves. And that helped the scene to grow quite fast. But then there was a part of a problem that it became all very, very hard. The raves became harder, became hardcore even. The club scene became very housey. So that was really, uh, in Holland, there was really a big split up, which was in a way, sorry. What about the clubs that are in Amsterdam at this time? You had the Mozzo, the Roxy, the It. Those were the top three for me with the Roxy uh, on number one because it was just an amazing, amazing club. They never let too many people in. They always had. 50-50% female man, uh, man audience. The music was really good. Derek May was living in Amsterdam uh, in the early 90s. Stacey Poulin came to live in Amsterdam. So there was always a good Detroit techno vibe, uh, especially on the Fridays. Later, that became the Thursdays, high-tech soul movement. And it really, really formed me, me musically. I was unhappy with the warehouse parties becoming all rather hardcore. In 1993, I got the Gashouder Gasworks location, and I started throwing parties there. Let's explain what exactly this venue is like. It's an old gasworks where they used to store the gas. It used to be uh, like 60 meter high. They sh shut it down in 1976, one year before I was born. They lowered it down uh, a couple of years later, but they kept it as a monument. Now this, the ceiling is about 10 meters high. But it it was an it was just an empty an empty warehouse, but a nice circle formed building. Then they started renting it out in '93, and I was one of the first uh, to rent it. In those first years, it was difficult uh, for me to find the exact music. I even did a hardcore party there in '94. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. No, no, that's that's good. I don't I don't want to uh, to shut any dance music out. Uh, in '95, I had. The Prodigy uh, for a live gig, including a whole party. That was the first time that it, it, be, it came rather How did that go full. down? Very hard. It was very tough. A lot of volume. I think there are some people in Amsterdam who still have their ears maybe hurt from that particular night. It was only an hour, but it was really good. So that was the first time that uh, the venue became full. During the year, I always did a party at Queen's Day or at Easter or... At New Year's, and that was always easy. But during the year, it was uh, it was hard until the techno scene came up. Europeans, uh, techno scene and productions, people like Adam Bayer started a label. Marco Carola, Kai Lekebus, Billy Nasty was doing good good things. What sort of year are we at now? That was 1996. So it was in March 97 that I did the first awakenings. Also, it wasn't good because I had those first three and a half years to really learn how to produce 
an event in the right way in the gas works because it was difficult those first years and we had problems with the toilets with the wardrobe it was it was sometimes messy we had problems with the sound it wasn't all all perfect but i learned in those years how to how to do it better so in march 97 it came all together the production was good the sound was okay the lineup was good and i found it i needed a new name it was the first time that it was at at easter so i looked up what is it easter i didn't even know it was kind of an the religious of course so it's the it's all about that second day of easter where he wakes up from the death he's rising from the grave that sounds really it great. sounded great so <laughs> <laughs> let's call it awakenings and uh, techno lineup with derek may doing the first couple of hours the second couple of hours for billy nasty some other people around it went from 11 till 11 so build it up from uh, maybe 125 bpm uh, up till uh, 140 bpm at, at 11 in the morning it was a good a good first edition of awakenings was sold out i was like yeah this is it this is the right sound for this place then a few months later we had the second edition with a long set from sven fate after that it was uh, it was there and it was there to stay and it went on and it, it was great and every party it got better can you tell us about your choice of bookings at this point? What kind of music were you trying to bring to Amsterdam? At that point, it was clear that if you really have the talent, you are not only a DJ, but also a, a producer. So I, I hung around a lot, all the, the record stores that you had in Amsterdam, and you had about 12. So And there I talked like, hey, who's selling the records? Who's making the music? And then you got to these people like Dave Clark, Adam Bayer, Richie Hawtin, Jeff Mills. They all came already in, in 97, 98, 99. They were already playing at Awakenings. If there was one, uh, what was the sound of Amsterdam sort of in the mid to late 90s? Well, I think I think what is one of the reasons of the success of Awakenings is that we found the gap in the middle. In the, in the 90s, there was still a big empty hole in between the house sound which was played in the clubs and at the raves because there were still few illegal raves which was really hardcore and you had also some some other hardcore parties so there was something missing not only for me but i think for many people and that was techno and a lot of good music was being made i think especially since since 96 97 all these labels and all these artists, they really broke through to the Dutch audience. And so we, we brought them to Amsterdam, the, uh, the names I've just mentioned. So you've mentioned quite a lot of international names. Um, yeah. What about the sort of the local, the Dutch uh, DJs? The main man in, in the 90s and, and the, early, uh, the early, early zeros was definitely Steve Rackmat. He made a lot of, a lot of nice, nice tracks, so he, he became a resident. Bart Skills is another name. I think Joris Forrest started in 2005. There was DJ, DJ Remy, DJ Dimitri. The old guys from the 80s who were who were backing up in techno. You had DJ Angelo, who's not so active anymore. There was enough talent to make the party good. And who were some of those early residents? Billy Nasty was a regular and a resident in, in the 90s. Adam Bayer became one after his first set. Marco Carola played uh, played a couple times a year in those early years. Richie Hawtin came once a year. 
Also Jeff Mills came once a year. Sven Veit came every year. So also Dave Clark, he came quite a lot. I think now would be a good juncture to describe what is a typical awakenings party. I think let's go for one, like an old ni- original 90s one. How, how, okay. What was the well, atmosphere like? Starting with a local DJ like, like Angelo. Then we could have at midnight, for instance, Nick Rapacioli was the DJ for left field. At two o'clock, you could have Sven Veit for a three-hour set until five. At five, you could have Dave Clark from five to seven. From seven to nine, you could have maybe Luke Slater. And then from nine till 11, you could even have a DJ Lucas who would play Goa, trance, techno, crazy, hard stuff, but really with, with a deep, deep edge. How do you plan the programming of an evening? I'm a raver, so I, I imagine being there early and staying until the end. So you want to build up a lineup that goes a little bit faster with every DJ. Maybe you would start off at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, with 125 BPM, but you would end up maybe around 140 or even even a little bit over in the old days then. Not so much anymore. No, not so much anymore. But there, you know, as as long as there's a drive in the music, you don't, you know, you 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 can do with 130 or 132 or or whatever. But we we don't do that very hard stuff anymore. And well, I think this is a good segue into um, talking about the festival. So the first yeah. one was in 2001. Yeah, it yeah it was a big a big step because we've had done only indoor parties uh, in in Gazaar for four years and. Uh, People were like, "Eh, this is techno, this is underground, this is indoor, this is dark, this is at night. So, and then you you, want to bring it to the outdoors, in the sun, in the green grass, in the park. So, I I was like, yeah, I need to do that. You had also already some festivals like Mysteryland and Dance Valley, which I would like to visit. So, it was more from my point of view. I like to visit these, these festivals, but... I don't like it that they have only one techno area mm. and the other areas are house and trends and hard style or, or hard house or, you know, whatever it may be. They had maybe eight or ten areas all with different styles and which I liked a little less. So I wanted to do the World Awakenings Festival with four areas with only techno. That's pretty bold. It seemed logical to me. Every every indoor party was sold out, and I wanted I wanted to do something else, and um, and it became a success from from the first day with ten thousand people already on the first edition. The weather was perfect. That helped logistically. We were ready because we were supposed to do it in two thousand, but then there was the European Championship football, and the police said we don't have any people uh, because they all have to work there. So we had another year to work on it. Also, the gashouder closed down for renovation at the end of 2000. So we we could really focus on this festival, and it was and it was a huge uh, success. Yeah. I know Holland has quite a lot of festivals. It seems to be the festival capital of Europe. But even back then, was there a lot of competition? No, but I never look at other festivals as competition because it keeps me sharp. And, and Awakenings all has always been selling out. The only thing is I that I want is like at the end of the f- festival season, I want them to remember Awakenings as 
as the best festival. But in 2001, there weren't so many, of course. No, there was, like I said before, Dance Valley Michelin were really big. I don't remember any techno festival. I, I think we were the first to go techno only. We had a few rough years after that because we had rain in the years after 2000 in the mud. It was, <laughs> it was pretty uh, hard. As an English person, I know all about that. <laughs> the mud fest. <laughs> the mud fest, yeah. So I think the people in Holland, they certainly rave quite hard. Is that a fair assessment? Maybe now there are so many parties that they rave a little bit too much. If you rave every weekend, maybe you become tired. <laughs> maybe. So what I like about these last years is that we see the people flying and driving in from all around Europe or even from around the world. So it's, it's becoming more of a mix of nationalities at Awakenings. And I love the people who travel to come to Awakenings because they are in the front line of, of, of the dance floor, raving their asses off. I don't want to say the Dutch crowd is not, is not fanatic enough, but sometimes they are a little bit tired because they party so much that, <laughs> that maybe they lose the energy. And also for them, it's, it's normal to have these kind of productions. They are used to it. So I'd like to go back to the period where the gas holder was, was closed. Yeah, yeah. So you were in a sort of nomadic phase. Yeah. Um, and you put on a couple of parties in Rotterdam. And what about the um, the crowd? So was is there a, a big difference between Amsterdam and Rotterdam? Is there a rivalry? Well, I never felt the rivalry because I'm from the middle of the green art. For me, it was 40 minutes to Rotterdam and 40 minutes to Amsterdam. Okay. So I was always in the middle. So I, I've i never felt the rivalry. I was going to the University of Amsterdam. My sister was studying at the University of Rotterdam. So now for me, I've never felt that, that vibe. I think it's living more, a little bit more in Rotterdam than in Amsterdam, but I like them both. And actually the first parties, there was more than, 20% visitors still from Amsterdam at the Rotterdam party. So also for them, it wasn't an issue to go to Rotterdam to visit Awakenings. So so it it was great. And on the other hand, when we did Amsterdam, there were always 15% more or less from, uh, from Rotterdam in the old days. So I think Awakenings was a party that was overcoming those feelings. Is that fair to say that in Holland there was sort of city-based scenes and not much integration between the two? or That's maybe becoming a little bit more, but for Awakenings we've lived above that. For Awakenings you would be willing to travel because it's people think it's, it's special. Of course, I also think. <laughs> But the people that think it's special. So we have customers and visitors and party people from all over Holland. And now over these last years, it's becoming all over Europe. Can you tell us about some of the relationships that you've fostered with particular DJs and labels over the mm -hmm. years? The best friendship I have, I have is with Adam Bayer. He came uh, first time in 99. Uh, he never left. I think he played uh, more than 100 gigs for me at Awakening. So he's a record holder also for that. He's been loyal. Uh, we have a click also uh, on other levels. It's great to have, have a friendship with him. And uh, also in the period I mentioned, 2004 and five, for instance, I had a party at the shipyard uh, warehouse where we were we were infiltrated with the sound police and they were cutting down the volume. It was m maybe one of the worst parties that Awakenings ever had. And 
he stayed loyal after that. Oh, so he was playing then when... He was playing, yeah. And he was then uh, also that same year, he had a, bl- a little bit of a, a lesser period. He even stopped with drum code for for like two years. So we had we had some uh, some ups and downs with each other. And that helps to make it very special. If you keep together also in, uh, in the lows, then you can now rise high together where when he has the most popular label in the world and, and Awakenings is probably the, the most p- popular techno party in the world. So it's great to, to ride that high together now when we've also seen the lesser periods. And who are some of the other people? Uh, from from Holland, Joris Voren is, a, is a, a really close friend who I admire as a person, but also musically. Over the years, you've done a couple of specials. You've Detroit has always seemed to be a very continual <coughs> connection. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Why Detroit, and who were the who were the people? Well, that Detroit was of of course the like many people know uh, where techno was found. There was, I think, the scene started with with house in Chicago, and then there were there was this group of people, Juan Atkins, who actually found the name techno. There was an interview and, and they say, so what's, what is it, this music? And, uh, and he said, let's call it techno. That's how it came about. But these people were making Kevin Sanderson, Derek May, Juan Atkins, the Belleville three, the, the whole story. It sounded different. And, and so it was, it was named techno. You always need to watch out for like putting a label to music because music is music. And if you say to, to Ricardo Villalobos, you, hey, you still play minimal then he will kill you because he said you I I play since the 90s I've been playing house and techno I don't even know what minimal is but about Detroit it was very important that the music that was made in the 90s there that it had a name uh, that it had a city there came a second generation of Detroit artists including Jeff Mills Stacy Pullen Blake Baxter Kenny Larkin had a, a huge impact. So uh, if you are loyal to the techno sound, you always need to think of Detroit. Next week, when we do Eindhoven, we have Rob Hood again playing. So we we always like to keep an eye on uh, on the Detroit side of, of things. But to be honest, over the last years, there's not so much of a, of a scene anymore. Although the, the movement festival is doing very well which I'm very happy about. I want to visit maybe this year. I've never visited Detroit. I need to go. Yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> it's in my heart, but I've, I haven't set foot. So it's it's a shame, actually. I need to go. So can you tell us how the festival has... So it started off with four stages and at the moment it stands at around eight, is that? Yeah. Can yeah, you tell us how, how, <clears throat> how it's developed and expanded? The first year we had almost 10,000. The second year we didn't grow so much. Uh, so we still had the four stages, but we had some rain. So we had maybe 11,000. And the year after was maybe 12 and 13. There was, there was a lot of rain still, a lot of mud. We still had the four areas. But then we had a few years of good weather and we were selling out. So then we went from 15 to 20 and then we needed another area. Because it was it was logical to do it because you need to spread the audience and we liked to have another area because on that is it still techno? Yeah, especially the harder the harder techno was coming up and then in two thousand four I hate to say the word but minimal came up 
Richie Horton was playing that sound and Ricardo Villalobos and we had them playing. So then we went to 25,000 in 2006, doing six areas. And then we got to 30,000 and then we got to... 35,000 in 2009, I guess. So it's more like you're sort of feeding the, the demand that you see. Yeah. You know, I've always loved to have like the, the areas around maximum 5,000. Mm -hmm. You have a few a few areas at the festival that are bigger. The two big outdoor stages, they can hold uh, some more and you have a, a few smaller. But on the average, it's like 5,000 people. Uh, what do you want people to take away from going to Awakenings Festival? Uh, like I said before, at, at the end of the festival season, you need to feel like, yeah, yeah, this was this was the best festival of the season. I always want to be the best at, at the festival. Not only I want the best lineup, but I want the best logistics. I want to have the best show to be the best in everything. So because that keeps me motivated. For the people, I just want to have them to have fun. So that starts at the entrance. I want them to be in quickly within five or ten minutes i want them to go to the bar and they can have a drink and not wait for an hour it's all about timing you want in as many hours on the on the dance floor as possible so logistics for me is very very important besides the music the show the visuals the big big stages let's talk about the show and the visuals because a big part of awakenings is the lights the lasers i was fortunate to have Jasper Schimmel as a as a producer, he helped me with the festival in 2002. But he was already before that working at at Gashouder also at the, on the sound. But later he became very uh, very interested and he proved to be very talented in designing the visual shows. Always together with me, or I don't mean together, but I I know what I I want. So I when he had a, an idea and. He presented, and then I would mention some comments. Uh, it was '91 when I visited uh, New York for for a few shows of the Grateful Dead. They had a big visual show with a big video screens, lasers, fireworks. Uh, so I was always like, "We need that at the rave also because it's a visual thing." You know, you're in this vibe where where the the music is uplifting you. You want some. Eye candy also, you need. I, I've always loved that visual impact um, when I uh, visit the show. So that's also one thing that we're very focused on. We always want the new technologies. When did the, the fireworks get introduced? It wasn't so late. I think <laughs> must have been, I think must have been already 99 or something mm -hmm. that we first uh, did it. Like we had the laser already from, from the very first editions. And not, not one laser we put also in the early years, we put like eight. Now we put, sometimes we put 18, <laughs> just all around the building, you know. Even in the roof, uh, we put them. Uh. So in the in the last 20 years, that's, that's an incredible amount of parties to think about. But do you have any sort of favorite memories, a favorite set? The first festival was, of course, like, that was so happy. The weather was good. There were already 10,000 people. It was a huge step, so there was a huge, huge, huge impact. It was so hot that day that the the firefighters were on the field in their big red car, spraying the people with water <laughs> because it was so hot, and they were like the also the heroes of the day. The five-year anniversary was in uh, Sint Jobsveen 
in that warehouse with Rich Orton playing an amazing set. He was already in 2002. He was really, really professional. He brought a lot of equipment. It was almost a live set. The 10-year anniversary was great. The 15 years was great. The 20 years was great. So many memories that it's 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 hard to uh, to remember one specific. Is there maybe one artist whose performance just for you really sums up what Awakenings is, what Awakenings means to you? Adam Bayer always hits the right spot. Also at at the New Year's party the last the last time, it was am amazing performances by Pam Pot. Secret Cinema played back to back with Egbert. Paul Ritz played back-to-back -back with Bart's skills. They were all at such a high level, like, you know, if you put a number on it, somewhere in between eight or nine. Mm. And then Adam had, had to finish, but he feels so at home. But he was, again, he scored maybe nine. Even him, he himself, he, because we always like to talk numbers. Mm. So how did you feel? I'd, and I said, I said, I felt like it was nine and a half out of 10. And this was one of the f the first times that he said, no, this was nine 9.8. <laughs> Because mostly he's more like a, a little bit of the, on the on the safe side. So, you know, he would say maybe then, yeah, it was nine out of 10. But this time he also like felt it like it was almost a 10. But, but you don't want that 10 to happen because then you always need to to go back to <laughs> and you can never beat it you can never beat it so but but yeah he always does it what about some of the female artists that have been part of the yeah. awakenings family for for me it's always been very important because i don't like the feeling that it's a male dominated world In the old days you had local dutch female artists like miss jacks lady ida monica cruiser from from germany mrs barbara did some amazing sets Over the last years, I'm very happy with uh, Nicole Mudabear, Nina Kravitz, Ida Engberg. I'm very happy now that, that there's a, a rise at this moment. I feel there's a, it's, it's rising again. There are more female artists coming. Uh, at the next festival, you're going to find five new female artists who are going to make their debut. So I'm really happy at the moment that there's more talent rising up. Awakenings is fairly entrenched in the scene in Amsterdam. How would you describe its its role or the role it's played sort of getting to this point? I think the role was more important in the past to make these parties when the scene was not so big. It was more meaningful also for the sound in the club scene because the club promoters when they saw that the Wagnis could sell out 4000 capacity for l like a weekender i think the amsterdam scene it's 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 healthy it's uh, it's big a lot of places coming a, a lot of places going new clubs opening uh, some others uh, shutting down some clubs they don't have to close so if th there's enough people they can go until till 11 in the morning like like awakenings used to do in the in the 90s there's a lot lot going on so everybody needs to be sharp on the on the quality because otherwise the people will leave you so also for awakenings that means that every party must be spot on must be it must be great
is promoting in Amsterdam, is it a bit cutthroat or do you find that you are working with each other or is it everyone, every man for himself? I've always done my own thing and I don't really look too much at what other other promoters are doing. We are looking always far, far ahead. We are booking far, far ahead. Then we have exclusivity on the artists that we work with and my door is always open and I, I talk to everybody. So I don't feel like there's a lot of competition. So if you see the average party, we sell out like month month before we sold out. So then you have no competition when you're sold out. I all see them as colleagues, and I all, and I love them because they they grow the scene that that I'm part of. And uh, at the end of the day, when they visit Awakenings, then they are hooked. So in the last twenty years, what have you seen change within the city? within the scene, the music scene of Amsterdam? It's been growing. It's 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 becoming more techno, which is great. It's become more f- female audience. After 2004, it became a lot more house influence with, with techno. So I love that. Before that, it was a little bit hard. More like 65% male audience now. Sometimes you, uh, you, you have like 50-50. All the students like it. So it's a, a very broad spectrum. And I love the audience. And... Uh, and I've always done. So yeah, I see I see a great future for Amsterdam and for the whole techno scene because I think this this type of music that I love is really growing. Last year you expanded out to Chile, to the US and to the UK. Can the, yeah, well we we also did India, we did something in in Brazil, Australia. Sometimes okay. we did the techno area on another festival, which is which is interesting because you can uh, maybe win over the hearts of people who are maybe visiting a more EDM-like festival for their main stage, and then they they find the techno area. Like we did at Electric Zoo in New York. We're going to do it again this year. We did Supersonic in India, which we do again this year. We will follow uh, Electric Zoo also to, to Brazil in April. I like this. I like the, the fact. I don't think it's possible to create awakenings festival now to another country i think you can do indoor indoor parties while like we did we had some great editions of awakenings in london and manchester and antwerp but i think we want to focus on the u.s and what's the drive for this what's what what's your well the drive is it 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 wasn't so much of of a drive but there are some places in the world that that i really love new york for instance we had a we had a great addition last year in uh, in Hammerstein Ballroom. It's a monumental area uh, location with a very high, 50 meter high ceiling in the middle of Manhattan, and it was a great show. It was probably the best show that we did outside Holland. In Europe, I think we're going to do a little bit less because you, you see that the European crowd is coming to Amsterdam. I think we want to focus more on Chile, Brazil, the US. New York, LA, those cities that I'd really like to visit. I would really like to go to those places I love and let Awakening succeed out there. So this is part of the sort of projections for the future is to to expand, to take over the world. I've never been so so ambitious because there there was always a lot of ambition still and work to do inside of Holland. But now that we expanded in Holland, we're doing... Six shows on a row at ADE. We do we do like four at New Year's. We're gonna do five at Easter. 
we're doing Eindhoven, which is a great show. We might go back to Rotterdam also this year to do a weekender there. With the festival is two days now, uh, Saturday and Sunday, which is great. So I think in Holland, our agenda is really in good shape, and we can do do everything we want, and it's it's great. But I think besides that, you can do only a few things. If you want to do it good, you need to focus and do a few, a few things very good. So I think it will be a little bit further away from Europe what we want to focus on for the future. What have you learned from the last 20 years mm. of throwing techno parties? I've learned it's about the people. It's the people in my crew. It's, it's about the people on the dance floor. It's about people who, who put out the music, the DJs, the live acts. It's, it's all about feeling. It's emotion. It's music. It's a combination of, of all, all this. And, you know, I, I like to work with these people making the best party in the world. That's the, that's the focus. And that's what gives me pleasure. Goosebumps, everything. Uh, sometimes tears in my eyes when, we, when you have these moments. When, when everything is just falling in place and the crowd is going wild and the show is full on and that's what I live for. <laughs>